This week, we delve into all things Kruger. Join me as I chat with Duncan McKenzie about the all-new second edition of the Roberts Bird Guide, Greater Kruger National Park Field Guide. But we're not just focusing on the guide itself. Duncan shares his first-hand experiences in the park and offers valuable tips on maximizing your birding adventures in Kruger. Duncan, as South Africans would say, is a lacquer oak, making this episode a must-listen. By supporting the Birding Life's online store, you're also supporting our ongoing work. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of Robert's Bird Guide, Greater Kruger National Park, please reach out to us via email at info at We'll notify you as soon as the book becomes available and ensure it finds its way into your hands promptly. My name is Adam, and I'm the host of this proudly South African birding podcast. This podcast is your number one source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation, gear, books, and anything that we think birders want to hear about. Bring new life into your garden with Westerman's Wild Bird Seed, a delicious seed mix attracting a variety of wild birds to your garden. Find it at various pet and lifestyle retailers across South Africa, online and in-store. Westerman's, for the love of birds. So let's dive into this week's episode with Duncan McKenzie. So firstly, I want to welcome you to the show, Duncan, second time on the Birding Life podcast. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Adam. Good to be back. You are a, a well-traveled birder. Um, I always get quite jealous when I hear about the places you visit and the places that you have visited. So how has 2024 been for birding for you so far? Uh, it's actually been a bit slow. Um, I spent most of January writing reports, which means being a bit stuck in the office. And I have spent uh, all of February um, working on the escarpment. So I'm a bit ashamed to say this, but I have yet to go to Kruger this year. So just for the just for the benefit of guests who don't know, how far do you actually stay from Kruger? Because I think you know some people might think you stay like ten hours away. How far do you actually stay from Kruger? Just so we can give a bit of context to why you said you haven't been to Kruger this year yet. Well. For two reasons. Firstly, it's about 45 minutes for me to get into Kruger. Um, and secondly, having just um, finished a work on Kruger, you'd think I'd be sitting there at the moment looking at black kookles. But uh, end of the month, I will spend a week up in the far north in Makuleke uh, presenting a bird course. So I'm looking forward to that a lot. So, Duncan, the reason we've got you on the show is we are going to be chatting all about the Roberts Bird Guide Greater Greater Kruger National Park book that has just been released, the second edition. Uh, I love the cover, but I also hate the cover because it's got a pals fishing owl, and I've never seen a pals fishing owl. I've gone looking for one. It's one of my nemesis birds. So I love the cover, but honestly, I also hate the cover. Every time I look at the cover, it reminds me of my my inability as a birder. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I've had I've had quite a lot of um, reaction from that cover. Um, in the same light, you know, in the same vein, where people have said, absolutely love the cover, but, it's, you know, shame on you, I haven't seen this bird before. So it, it, I, I think it's very eye-catching. Um, it's something that I asked the artist, Ingrid Wiseby, I asked her for this, a pals fishing out on the, on the, on the Levubu River, and that's what she, what she gave us. So I'm very, very chuffed with that um, with that cover. What actually makes it quite nice, you know, a lot of the, the, the field guides out there, um, I mean, even the, the Roberts field guide, I mean, uh, I try to remember, it has a secretary bird in the front. A lot of them have quite iconic, iconic species, these species that are very well known and very, very widespread. 
But what what interests me, what I love with the the this this guide here, it's a lot like the um, Cecil Field guide, which had the gra- ground woodpecker on the front, and I just love the fact it's a it's a, it's a different species. Mm. It's not one of the it's not as well as probably as widespread as some of of, of the other species, but probably in terms of Kruger. Just in terms of the response you've had, it's probably one of the most sought after species. So I think it's a, a really good choice for the cover. Yeah, thanks. Um, I don't know for a fact, but I've, I vaguely remember something about the big six birds. I think that was something that was promoted years and years ago. And I think Pals is in that so-called big six of birds. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. But um, it's certainly not a, a you know, it's I've seen Pals, I think, on three four four different rivers in Kruger. So, and I know they occur uh, sparsely on at least two or three others. So it's definitely not a bird that's impossible. And um, yeah, it's you, you just got to know where to go, and you can you can you can potentially get a pals. So obviously we're talking about pals, and for South African birders, it's up there with one of the best places. I mean, you got we got we got some really good. We spoiled for choice. I mean, places like Makuzi, Kalahari. I mean, we got some fantastic places to bird in South Africa. But birders will often make an annual migration, or some which are but some are a little bit more than more often than that. But Kruger is just a very special place. So. For the sake of people that might not yet know, what makes Kruger such a special place? I mean, it's obviously got the big five and it's it's special. But what what is it for you? What, if you were to if you had to sell Kruger to someone who said, "Why should I go to Kruger?" What makes Kruger so special as a birder specifically? I think there's a, a there's a number of reasons, Adam. Firstly, Kruger's really big, so you know it's it's all, I think almost the size of Israel. So, because it's so big and it's so vast, just the just the the wilderness um, aspect of it. So, just being able to go on the, on these quiet back roads up north and you know n- not see anybody, and and as far as you can see, everything is conservation area. So that's a very rare thing. Um, and I remember many years ago when I used to guide birders, the <clears throat> the European birders would just be blown away by how big this park is, and the fact that they couldn't see another building as far as they could see. So from a birding perspective, um, the sheer size of it means it's going to have a, a very big bird list, all right? So you've got a lot of diversity of habitats. So you can go from broadleaf woodland to, to open plains, to riparian forest, um, to cliffs, to wetlands. So it's, it, it's a big area with a lot of different habitats, which supports, therefore, a lot of different species. So you've got a, a choice when you go there. And also its position in, in Africa, so or in southern Africa, it's it's in the tropics. The northern third is is literally in the tropics. So it's it's on it's in that East African savanna tro- sort of tropical region. So a lot of um, tropical African birds find their southernmost distribution more or less in Kruger. So it's the only place, for example, in the country or the best place by far to see things like um, racquetail roller and berms spine tail, um, African golden oriole. So, so it, it, it's, it's the southernmost distribution for many East African birds. It's got a diversity of habitats. Uh, it supports a lot of different species. So I think the only place in the country that can rival Kruger in terms of avian diversity would be the greater St. Lucia Wetlands Park. You, so as far as I can think, that's the only place that can sort of say we've got 500 species 
um, in Kruger's case, 550. What also makes Kruger so special is that um, a lot of the birds are, are habituated. So you you get really good views of birds in Kruger because they haven't been hunted for, you know, over 100 years. They, they're used to cars. They're used to people. You can walk around the picnic sites and the camps and the birds are, are very much in your face. Um, so it's a very easy place to bird. It's, it's fairly open, uh, the vegetation. So it's quite easy to rack up a big species list as well. And rarities, there's a lot of rarities in Kruger. So people are attracted to, to these, even if they're local rarities. Uh, I mean, this, this last few weeks, there's reports of black kukuls. And I know up north at the moment, the Limpopo pans are really pumping and there's all sorts of crakes and gallinules and things uh, around. So it has this rarity sort of draw, um, as well as a big species list, as well as easy to observe birds. And crucially, it's it's one of the few places you mentioned the Khanakhari. It's one of the few places where you can see all the bigger birds that are within distribution range. So the large raptors and things like that. It's by far the best place, probably in the whole of northern South Africa, if not the best place in the country for raptors, especially in terms of diversity. Maybe not for photography. I think the Khanakhari with Pip Kruger. But yeah, so it's a really good place to see a lot of good birds. Then like reason number 729, yes, you can also look at the hairy scaries. Um, Tarendal, who's part of our team, actually made a very, very good point. He said one thing that makes Kruger very special, and uh, I mean, obviously there's other parks in our country that also allow for this, is that a lot of the, the, the national parks in other countries, you're not, a, you're not allowed to self-drive. And I mean, that's amazing that you can actually book into Kruger and you can drive around yourself. And the road network is fantastic. I mean, many of the roads, you don't need 4 by 4 on that. They are really easy to drive with a normal, like, a, a low-clearance low car. And I think that's just something that, again, is just the, the draw card of Kruger, maybe for someone who hasn't visited before. The fact that you can drive around, you can obviously book game drives there, but that you can drive around yourself, which obviously is awesome as a birder you can sit the whole day out on the road without and just stop to eat hope uh, maybe um, depending on who you are but you got the whole day to drive around by yourself where you go where you want to go exactly and and you can stay as long as you can afford and i know people i know birders i won't mention who but i know birders that will put their caravan up and stay for a month a month and a half in in one camp and go out birding every day and that's a fairly affordable way of of doing Kruger. You know, you you can camp. You can actually put your tent up or caravan up or whatever whatever you have. And the flexibility and the freedom. You know, you can do a a, a particular road as often as you want, and you know you can see different things on on that particular road on each different drive you do. So uh, in my hand, I'm holding the the the, the field guides. the The first question I want to ask is this and. We in a techn technological age, and many people are obviously have apps on their phone. I'm sure a lot of people have more than one bird app on their phone. And the one thing I've had people saying to me before, when I've told them about a new field that's field guide that's come out, they've said, "Well, I don't need to buy a field guide. I can just use an app." So, you know, in the day and age we are, where it's techn in the way that te technology is growing, the way that birding's changing. I mean, now we're talking about these new Sorovskis that you just look through them and they figure out what bird you're looking at. Is there still a place for the printed field guide? It is a good question. I'm certainly a proponent of apps. I find them 
incredibly mobile. I mean, you literally, I have too many probably apps on my phone. And if I lose my phone or change it, you know, you can, they can be transferred and whatever, whatever. Um, so whilst I do recognize the, the rise of apps and the importance of apps and the incredible functionality, if you think an app, a bird app, has calls on it, right? A, the, a book doesn't, you know, you need another device and you need a little scanner and all that sort of jazz. So as much as I use and enjoy apps, I am still very much a fan of of printed books. And certainly in terms of the value, if you think about the accessibility of of a book, right? So now you've got uh, three or four kids uh, in the car or whatever, and you know you want to get them into birds. You don't want them to sit on a on a on a device on a on a tech thing all day, right? So you give them the bird book, and you say, right, guys, there's a bird sitting outside. Let's use the book and see if we can find the name of the of the bird. So I, I mean, I know many parents are hesitant to to give their kids a cell phone up until the age of whatever, eleven or twelve or thirteen or whatever it is, and that's. 11 wasted years so give the kids the books um there are some super books specifically for kids i'm sure you've you you know about them and i think from that perspective alone just that alone it, for me it's worth it but also battery so your battery can go flat and also you get really tired of of just holding on to a cell phone and the messages and the work is bothering you or whatever whatever so just to sit somewhere in, in peace and quiet and have a book and actually page, to me, apart from sort of nostalgic, uh, I find that far more um, satisfying. It's a larger format. Um, you can flip pages easier. Um, you can, yeah, I don't know, um, maybe a bit old-fashioned, but I use books a lot and I also use apps a lot. I see both can coexist. Yeah, you know, the way I often approach it is in the car and when I'm out birding, it's a lot easier to have the app. And then what I love is when I get back to the camp at night, I love to have a field guide to page through. And I think, you know, like you said, they can coexist coexist quite well. Sometimes it can be a little bit bulky, especially when you're walking around using a book. But to get back at camp at night and go through some of your sightings and get, get a little bit more information. I mean, when I was at Kruger last time, I had the the Cecil um, Kruger guide, and I was able to have a little checklist at the back, and I was able to go and check check off the birds I'd seen. It was and it was something it was quite nice getting off the app at night, sitting by the fire, um, and just ticking birds off in a in a book that you can hold. It's just like you said, something almost nostalgic to that. It it, it feels authentic, if that makes any sense at all. It does. Yeah. As always, the Birding Life is proud to be associated with Sarovsky Optic one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website, www thebirdinglife.com If you need any help with any of the products please don't hesitate to email us on info at thebirdinglife.com So the other question I'd ask is this and the Roberts Bird Guide is obviously one of the most popular field guides on the market and just as a uh, on a side note the, the the Kruger Guide is a very similar feel to the, the, the Roberts Bird Guide so if somebody's got the Roberts Bird Guide 
why should they go out and buy a, a guide to just Kruger? Is it surely not just better just to just to use the full guide? I mean, especially if a, a rarity and out of range bird shows up that's not in the in in the in the Kruger guide, is it not better just to buy the full guide instead of buying just the a, like a condensed version? If you want to use the uh, no better word, yeah. I think um, this is where your apps can come into play. So if you've got an, an app on your phone, whatever the app is, um, then you're covered. You're covered from all your extra or rarities or unrecorded birds. From that perspective, you are covered. And I think by now, I, th- I kind of think most people have picked an app or two on their phones. The difference between this Kruger hand, uh, guide and the, the Southern African uh, field guide, Robert's field guide, is so, so not everybody's an expert birder or a good birder, right? So I think most birders fit into the category of I do it occasionally. I really do enjoy it. Um, I'm not an expert. Uh, I bird once a year, and that's when I go to Kruger. And th- that category of person will really, really benefit from not having to sift through birds that do not occur in Kruger. So they're whittled down. Um, so I've covered 440 species. Uh, oh, those are the most common species. They're covered in full detail. Uh, all the confirmed rarities are also covered. Um, and they're, and th- just briefly in terms of where they've been seen and when. And then even the potentially occurring and, um, and un- unconfirmed birds are, are covered. But, um, you know, if you look at larks, I mean, we have a lot of larks in, 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 in northern South Africa. Now, the maps in the in all the all the field guides the, the maps are not quite there and it's a big scale so here we have a, a super refined scale we have all the latest distribution data plotted from the bird atlas project and you don't have to sift through uh, birds that are irrelevant let me put it that way they don't they don't occur in Kruger so you it's easier to go through the book to find the birds um, also the book's very focused on on the birds of Kruger. I mean, that, that sounds funny, but so we, we, we discussed the particular habitats and where, you know, where to spot birds in which habitat. I think I've got a page of how to bird Kruger. There are specific dated locality areas uh, for these rarities. And I know there's a lot of Kruger birders that well, hopefully would appreciate um, that sort of information. And also we've got Kruger or low felt bird tracks in the book, which is one of my favorite aspects of the book. So you don't have to now try and think, is this a, a Cory Bastard or is it a Denim's Bastard? Or, you know, so it's going to be a Cory Bastard, obviously. So it's very focused. The maps are, we've got some very detailed maps as well, which helps the, the, the birders. So all the places that are mentioned in the book are displayed on the maps to help people find, oh, that's where they saw. Okay, right, I can go there. So it's it's very much more uh, focused effect. So whereas the the net is cast wide, so to speak, with the field guide, but with the Roberts guide, it's it's a far more narrowed uh, approach with a lot of more a lot more focus on birding Kruger itself. You know the thing you mentioned about the maps now is something that is a big selling point. So for me, if I were uh, just while you mentioned the locks, I went to the locks in the book and mentions all the locks that are found in Kruger. So for example, I go to Kruger and I've got specific targets. So um I want to see a fawn cutted a fawn cutted lock, for example. I can without you know when you look at a normal field guide, 
uh, to be honest, a lot of them would probably just almost cover the whole of Kruger because they don't. But with this one here, it isolates where whereabouts in Kruger, whereabouts in Kruger it is. So you know, as you go through the book, you're able to go look for specific targets and identify not just whether they are in Kruger, but where they could be found in Kruger. And a lot of this is information you'd have to go and dig up on the internet. And that where having these maps in front of you makes targeting and targeting specific species a lot easier and i think the maps is is probably uh one of the biggest selling points of the book i'm very pleased with the with the maps so we had two different teams working on the maps a team down with with guy upfold uh, doing the distribution maps and using the sabap2 data and then the all the other maps the geology habitats the the road maps were produced by linda mckenzie of digital earth who I happen to be married to, and she's an extremely good cartographer. So I, I really am chuffed to uh, to have had her input into this book as well. And then in terms of the process of updating and expanding the content for this edition, what did that look like? You know, there was a first edition. What did it look like developing the, the development from the first edition to putting together the second edition? What did that look like behind the scenes? The first edition came out, I think, 2008 or 2009. It's considerably thinner, and it, it well. Let me have a quick look. I have it behind me on the shelf. Um, it's two hundred and fifty something pages, and we've added we've added a hundred pages to that um, to the to the first edition. So those hundred pages are a lot of write-ups, a lot of summaries about all the Kruger rarities. Uh, that section alone is is quite big. So what I've done is I went through all published records from 1967 onwards. 1967 was the very first bird list, and that was compiled by Pinar and Przeski. So f- from 1967 onwards, I have saw uh, uh, looked through every published Kruger write-up article, uh, paper, book, field guide, handbook, whatever you. Whatever I could find, I went through all the records, and um, Ian White helped a lot with updating the place names because they were obviously different spellings and all that from uh, back then. And we've put all those records, and then of course uh, Trevor Hodaker's rare bird uh, newsletters that he he publishes twice a week. So I went through from the very first edition of of his um, his rarity reports and went through everyone literally every single one and extracted uh, the rarity data, so locality and date, and put that on a giant spreadsheet and included all that information. So that that takes up quite a bit of extra space. We've got a lot more maps in this particular edition. The introductory chapters were completely rewritten. Uh, I think we used very little from the first edition. Um, We've included a checklist. Um, I don't remember if the first edition it did have a checklist in the in the index sort of a checklist. So we've um, we've put a, a, a full checklist in you know English Afrikaans scientific name and then where I could find uh, it wasn't always easy but the 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 Tsonga name uh, for the for the birds is obviously a huge gap in in um, in getting names for all these birds, so that's that's all contained in the in the sort of the spreadsheet. Um, and then, of course, the bird tracks. It didn't take up that many pages, 
but just including the tracks, all the unconfirmed reports or sightings of birds, I've discussed them as well, and then some potentially occurring birds. So everything's basically just been beefed up, bulked up, and then a few things added, or quite a bit of things added. Uh, I was very lucky, I guess, in a way, to have been given total freedom in, in terms of what I wanted in the book, um, with input, obviously, from Hugh and Ian. So I could have I could have done more, um, but obviously you need to get the thing out. So I think if and when we ever do another revision, and if it is me, then there's a few other ideas that I would like to, to put in. But uh, overall, I think um, the three of us are, are very tough to have to have to this to have this revised edition out. So what makes it nice is not just the it's not just a field guide; it's a guide to birding in Kruger. And you spoke earlier about the fact that it has information, tips, and advice on how to bird Kruger. It has information on the habitat there, which is really interesting, and uh, obviously also different habitat obviously hosts different species, so that information is in there. And, you know, one thing John Kingle mentioned, we were just on our webinar we did uh, last week, he was mentioning, he said one thing he loves about the guide is that at the back of the, the guide, there's a map book. And very often times when you're driving around, you're trying to figure out which road to go on. And um, yeah, the map book is, the map at the back is really very, very handy. I think just in terms of everything that's covered, like I, like I said, I think what you've done well is you haven't just put together a field guide, you've put together a guide to birding and Kruger information about, so it's almost like, and, and just, we were talking about all that information about the rare, the rare birds in the back and unconfirmed species. And as we were talking, I was going through some of those. And I know a lot of birders enjoy that, enjoy information, enjoy going a little bit deeper and finding out when birds were seen and records when birds were seen. And there's a lot of information. It's one of those books you almost, when you first get in your hands, it, it, it looks like just a guide, but it's, it's one of those things, one of those books that you can sit down, there's a, a, many rabbit holes you can go down and get lots and lots mm -hmm. of information. I think for the four, you know, like you were speaking about earlier about the fact of being more compact, it's probably more accessible to, to newer birders. Maybe someone who's just has never gone, who's not really, has, is maybe new in birding, can buy this from one of the, the bookstores in Kruger and literally use it. But it also, I feel, with the extra information, it caters for the the more experienced birder, so I think it's it's a, a very well rounded book. And all that rarity stuff at the back. I mean, for for the average visiting birder, that's kind of really it's a bit lost on them. But but I specifically wanted to do it for the Kruger birders. So the guys that are that go to Kruger to do like birding and and the mammals and the, and whatever come second as opposed to going for the animals and then while you're looking at them you're also looking at birds and i know kruger's got a huge following uh, a huge number of people that are let me call them kruger birders so they they keep a kruger list they try and in increase their kruger list every time they go they they're happy they, if they get a new bird for them for kruger they know kruger well they know the roads they have their favorite places and that whole big summary at the back it really is for them. It's for the guys that are really interested to know, well, you know, I'm looking at a, at a bird here. Um, it's a yellow wagtail or, or whatever. Uh, if you cover it in the field guide, you can say rare visitor, but it doesn't really mean much. Okay, it's a, it's a rare visitor. But if you look in the back in the summary, you can actually see, 
well, where was it first recorded and who and um, where was it published and and where else has it been seen and how many birds do you know can I expect so it's 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 really probably just a little niche market all that stuff at the back um, but even even guys reporting on a, on a bird they say oh there's a, there's the WhatsApp group for Kruger or the Telegram or whatever that thing is called group for you know is it a rare bird or not well here we go have a look. If it says there that there are two records for Kruger, then there are two known records, and therefore, of course, you must report it. It's going to be very interesting. But if it's a bird, you see, well, it's not even there. It's in the main section, or then perhaps it's it's not as rare, or you know. So it it helps it helps the birders that are really Kruger or uh, focused or, or Krugerholics. It gives them something to to think about and hope. For, and as many people, I mean. As many people contributed to that, there's still tons more information that I couldn't get hold of. So I did list the people in the front of the book who provided me with data. So I sent emails out to vast number of people and and of them replied with their own records. You know, this bird at this place and here's the photo and here's this and that. So that it, this really is a summary of everybody's contribution to birding and Kruger. Uh, and it's incomplete, uh, obviously, because you could be a visiting North American and see a rare bird and, and not tell anybody and go back and the photos on your in your file on your computer. But uh, hopefully it'll also encourage people to submit rare records, either via the Bird Atlas Project or the Telegram group or via Trevor or whatever way is just get people out there and get them excited about birding. It's, oh, wow, this bird's only got 17 records. Wow. Yeah. So that sort of thing uh, really excites me. And, and um, I'm, it was hard work, but I'm really chuffed that that little section is in because I think it does satisfy the, the Kruger birders. So I know we're running out of time, but just two quick questions. Firstly, I gave you my confession at the beginning of about the Pals Fishing Owl. As you were preparing this guide, and not talking about the major rarities and that that are very difficult, is there any of the birds that you wrote about that is a Kruger bogey bird? It's like a bird that you have just not seen. Is there any bird in here that you're like, oh my word, I still need to see a Kruger? Um, in the main section, I don't think so. I haven't actually specifically looked. But certainly in those rarities at the back, uh, the confirmed rarities, my biggest bogey was the crimson-breasted shrike. Friends of mine who were based up at Makuleke have seen it, um, but in as much time as I spend up there, I had never actually connected with with the bird. So that was a big tick for me late last year, November last year, when I got a finally got a crimson-breasted shrike um, near Punda Maria, actually. So uh, that was probably my biggest bogey. Um, in terms of the rest, I've yet to see a golden pipit. In Kruger, so that would be uh, you know, I forget now how many records there are from Kruger. It's in the book, but that would certainly be one. I wouldn't call it a bogey bird because um, I think that by definition, bogey means you've tried hard to see it and you haven't been able to. So there aren't any birds in Kruger that I've tried hard to see and not seen, but um, certainly in terms of uh, birds with, with with several records, I think the swallow. Not swallowtail, the the white-throated bee-eaters and the the golden pipit are probably up there. And then we mentioned in the book, it does speak about the fact you give tips and advice for people that are burning Kruger. Just the last question, for people that are going up to Kruger and are planning to bird the Greater Kruger National Park, 
what advice would you give them? Drive slowly. Drive slowly with your windows open all the time. Even if it's 40 degrees, drive slowly with your windows open. So that's, to me, is the best way to find birds if you're in the car. Um, make regular stops and listen. So use your ears. Um, stop at every picnic site and every camp and walk around. So you get a leg stretch, you get the blood flowing, but you also bump into birds that you don't get outside the camp. Um, so, I mean, uh, Bergendal is a very good example. There's a really thick, dense uh, thicket in Bergendal where you get things like Eastern Nicotaw and Purple Banded Sunbird, and we've had black-bellied starling in there. But you won't see those birds outside the camp because obviously it's elephant impact. So the camps themselves mustn't be underrated as birding uh, uh, destinations because you you can walk around A and B, you've got quite different, oft, often thicket habitat within the camps, which are great. You think Skukuz has got the gorgeous bushrack behind the filling station. Lower Sabi's thickets have got funny warblers and stuff this time of year. So, so as well. Uh, and then also um, cover as many habitats as you can. So don't uh, just look at let's say, broadleaf woodland, you know, go and visit the thornfelt areas along the rivers, look at the forests along the rivers, the, the grasslands on the basalt plains. So, so try and visit as many habitats. And if you see people birding, stop and, and chat and ask. Uh, you often see these cars with the magnets on the back that says birding, birdwatching, please pass. And I think they should ban those, well, at least that phrase, because it kind of, implies that you don't want to share what you're looking at, firstly. And secondly, it implies that you know you don't want to share or you don't want people to talk to you and, and you just want to bird on your own and you know people must just go away. Those are quite rude, I think. They should say there, birding, please stop and ask and we'll show you, or something like that, just to encourage people because it makes now birders, makes them look kind of snobbish. But if you see people birding, then, then stop. And and say, hey guys, uh, see you've got binocs and you've got a bird book. Uh, what have you seen? And and so you can swap and you can share uh, sightings, just like the big five people do. They also stop each other and they say, oh, there's lions two k's down this road and whatever, whatever, whatever. I think the birders can can learn from the the big five watchers as well. Maybe we must take you up on the challenge and do birding life stickers saying that instead of the other one. So, Duncan, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you so much for giving up your time. I really appreciate it. It's been good to have you on. I know we had a little bit of a um, time constraints, um, but I encourage people to go out and get the book. It's a fantastic book. Uh, it's well worth it. I know if you listen to the show, probably when it comes out, there are some uh, just some supply challenges at the moment, but I think within the next few weeks it should be on um on the on local bookshops and, and on sale through the Birding Life bookshop. So thank you for being on the show, Duncan. I really appreciate it. Adam, it's a big pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Uh, it's a lucky way to spend a Friday afternoon. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes, feel free to drop us an email on info at the birdinglife.com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.